Good morning. Um, man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I don't, I don't know about you. I, I just got to say, when I grew up as a kid in Florida, this was winter in Florida. So it's kind of nice to have kind of some cool weather and stuff as long as, like, I don't have to scrape ice off um, my car or shovel. I remember we lived in Germany for a few years, um, and I'd never really seen snow. And so we were in Germany, and it snowed one night, and I was so <laughs> excited, and I went out there. And I was like, it's snow, it's great, and I shoveled out my car, and I went in and drank my coffee, and came back and couldn't tell I shoveled. And so that was the end of my love affair with snow. <laughs> and and that, but I, I enjoy. I hope I hope you're glad you're here. Um, I'm very excited about this series um, we're we're going through as we talk about what does it mean to be a different church. Um, I just feel so often in so many places today that so many churches are trying more to fit in than to stand out. And, and I understand we we live in a culture and we live in a world that is getting more and more antagonistic towards those people of faith. We, we're considered closed-minded. We're considered um, um, people that are bigots or or you just name it and, and so it just seems more and more um, <coughs> the struggles that the church is facing and so in the midst of that how do we stand out and still be the church that God created us to be because I still as I said last week as we started this series I love the church I, I think the church is the most amazing organism organization on the planet I think only God could come up with the idea of a place where anybody um, from any background, from any economics or any of that stuff could all come together and, and just have common ground. That It really doesn't matter where we're from. It doesn't matter because we all have common ground. We all need a Savior. We all need um, a, a gathering like this. And so I, I love the church. Um, and, and the church has always kind of struggled, I think, in the world. I think the church has always kind of stood out, and so there's been people that don't understand or, or don't see that or, or don't like it um, because we stand upon um, values and truth, and we're not going to kind of bend on those things. And so how do we do that and yet stay loving and stay a place that impacts the world? Because I'm in the belief, and, and um, I, I know for a fact that if the church was being the church and did everything that it was supposed to be doing— that we wouldn't have any need for any type of social services or any of that because the church would take care of it. I think that was God's original plan. And so um, this morning, I, I want us to just kind of continue on this vein as we go through these churches, um, these seven churches in Revelation um, that unfortunately don't exist anymore. You can go by, you can see the cities, you can take like tours and go see the different cities that they were in. But these churches don't exist anymore. But to see what... Uh, what it is that makes them the church and the people that God needs them to be or wants them to be and, and where they sh fell short. And so th this morning we're going to look at the church in Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. And we're going to be looking at the church in Ephesus. Now, as I always say, and, and I will continue until they tell me I can't preach here anymore, I will tell you the truth that these are the only words that matter this morning. Um, it's, it's the only reason and the only authority I have to stand before you this morning um, to share. And, and I believe in all these words, and these words make more of a difference than anything that I would ever say. And so if you have your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we have them available for you. Grab it. Put your name in it. That's our gift to you. If you like to use electronic devices, you can sign in to our Wi-Fi GBC guest. Just type in <coughs> find more, all lower caps, and you can follow along and 
I'm going to keep encouraging you. There is no reason on this, on the planet for any of us not to be able to have a Bible available to us all the time because they're all apps now. And so I want to encourage you, download some kind of Bible app. Put it on your phone. Make your phone smarter than it already is. Um, but download an app. We use the Faith Life app here, and you actually you can log in and you can follow along with that. But um, as I said, these are the most important words. So I have acknowledgement of that and I have respect for these words. I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with me. As we read in Revelations chapters 2, starting at verse 1, John writes, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you this morning. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are here waiting for us. God, I can almost guarantee in, in this gathering this morning there are people that um, there are things going on. There, there are struggles. There, there, are, there are issues. There are plans. There's all kinds of stuff running through our heads. And God, I pray for the next few moments, God, that you would just quiet us. God, that we would be a people that not only know of you, but know you and know your heart. God, that we would be a church that's more about your kingdom than anything else. And that, God, you would speak this morning. God, that you would bring change. God, that you would encourage us, challenge us, and that these would be your words and not mine. Father, would you just move in our midst and have your way this morning? God, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to respond this morning? God, that we would leave here different than what we came. And may you get all the glory. God, we love you. May the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. And may you use them to bring about revival, to bring about an awakening and a change in this community and all around the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> so, so as I said, and, and as I started out last week, I gave a little bit of the background that um, the idea of church and, and, and us gathering and the hostility towards the church is nothing new. Um, if, in fact, you know, right when this was written was some of the greatest persecution in, in Rome and stuff. Nero had just burned Rome. 
Um, he had blamed the Christians and everything. There was all kinds of persecution happening. There was all kinds of things happening. John himself was a, was exiled on Patmos. Um, the last, probably the, he's the last of the disciples, the last of the apostles alive. Um, wondering what's it all about, why am I doing it, and Christ shows up and gives him this great picture of not only what needs to happen then, but what's going to happen. And so um, I encourage you this year, read Revelation. Um, it is not a scary book. As I think a lot of us look at Revelation and we're like, I don't, I don't think I can understand that. I don't think God wrote anything that we can't understand. I, I think we overcomplicated it. Um, I think we overcomplicate church. I think we overcomplicate his, his word and everything. I think we just read it as face value and, and just trust God for whatever's going on. So I, I encourage you to read and do that. But, but I love that he started this whole series with just writing to the churches. Right? There are these seven major churches um, in, in Asia and, and what's happening in there and the persecution, all the stuff that's going on. And so um, this morning, um, like I said, we're starting with Ephesus. And a few months ago, if I remember right, we did kind of a series through Ephesians and everything. We talked a little about Ephesus, but Ephesus was an amazing city. Okay, Ephesus was probably the greatest city in Asia and and Turkey at the time. If if you could take New York City, Las Vegas, and like Hollywood and put them all together, that was Ephesus. It was an amazing city. It wasn't the capital. In fact, I think the capital of that, that province was Pergamum. But Ephesus was, I mean, it was just, it was the place to go. It was the place to be. Um, and it was a beautiful city, and there was all kinds of stuff. It was the center for trade, which means everyone came there. All the businesses came there. Everyone came there. All the trade routes kind of went through Ephesus, through their port and everything. The Euphrates and all that stuff, they kind of all headed right there and, and, and all these things. And so there was huge, like everyone from around where anyone that had anything to do with like trade and e- economics, you went to Ephesus. And so it was big, and it was powerful, and it was important, but it was also a center for religion. Um, in, in, in the Roman times there, um, it, was, it was the temple worship of Artemis. It was probably one of the largest, most grandest temples ever, and they had temples everywhere, and it was beautiful, <coughs> and everybody was just involved in something. In fact, Paul spent two years in Ephesus just establishing the church. And some of his greatest writings came, came out of that and just encouraging them. And so you have this beautiful city, this kind of crossroads of the world that has everything. And I think it's really interesting, and, and I know we're not a great city, but it, it was, as I was studying this week and I was reading this, I started thinking about Four Corners and, and this area and just the crossroads that this area has become. I mean, we're still, you know, there's a lot of family struggling. There's a lot, you know, it's not a very affluent area. There's places of affluence and stuff. But right here, right here in the corners of 192 and 27 over right around here, the world is coming to us. I mean, you think about just Central Florida. Central Florida had more visitors last year than any other place in the world combined. Over 60 million people came and visited, and that's because we have the Mecca of Disney and the Mecca of Universal and all these things, but 60 million visitors came here. Oh, they wrote my name. Um, But just to this area, and and it's funny, especially like in in my Baptist circles and everything, we're always told, you've got to go, you've got to go out to the uttermost parts of the world, you've got to keep and go to the nations and everything. We live in a place where the nations are coming here. Um, 
We live in a place where just organizations and, and, and businesses are moving in to this area because it's just, it's kind of central for that. We, we've got the airport, we've got all that stuff, and I know a lot of people think Miami in Florida or, or Jacksonville in Florida, but man, I think Orlando is the place to be, and, and right here. And so I think when I look at, uh, at our culture and what's happening and all the different things, and, and we've got so much business going on, and we have so many belief systems that are just situated right here. I think we're a modern day Ephesus. And, and, and we kind of fit that mold. And so I was excited that, we, that, that God chose to tell John to start with Ephesus. Because I think that's right where we're at. And everything. And, and that's what this area is. And so what a great place to have a church. What a challenging place to be a church. When you have everything that's going on here, I mean, just think, I mean, we will never outdo Disney. I don't have that budget, you know. I know they own everything over here and stuff. There, there's land here that you just look out on a field, and my friend Sony at Disney owns that. Disney, I mean, they own everything, and we're, we're never going to outdo them. And, and in some ways, Disney is kind of like it is the modern temple of Artemis. <laughs> you know, I love Disney. I love going to Disney. But I see a lot of worship-type things happening at Disney all the time and in this area. And so I believe we're kind of like, we're right there. And so of all the churches, this hits home to me with Ephesus. And so that's where we, we start with Ephesus. And, and I love that, you know, open your Bibles back up to chapter 2, that Ephesus, they had a good start. You know, they, they, they weren't that bad off. And you'll notice if, if you stick with us over the next six or seven weeks as we go through each one of these churches, there are some churches where it says, you know, hey, you're doing good. And you do this, but you've had this. There's maybe two churches that it's just good. And you have other churches that it's like everything is bad. <laughs> but Ephesus, they had a really, really good start. And, and God acknowledges that. Look at verse one again. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I want to stop there just for a second. Um, I love that it says he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Because if you were here last week, we talked about it when John turned around and looked at Jesus back in, in, in verse 1. He says in verse 12, or in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. This idea that this Jesus was standing in the midst of the seven lampstands. And these seven lampstands really indicate and, and, and identify themselves with these churches, these lights in dark communities. But I love all of a sudden in, in chapter 2, he says he walks among them. He, he comes and he's part and he's in midst and he's interacting with his church. This is why I don't ever pray and I tell my band, says, let's not ever sing a song, oh Lord, please come and join us today. God, please come and be with us today. Because he's already here. I mean, isn't that good news that when we are, in, when we are being the church that we're called to be and we're obeying and, and we're living out that life, that Christ is in the midst of us. Whether it's this church or any church around the world, that Christ is walking and interacting with his church. We're not in it alone. He's, he's here 
And all we have to do is just slow down enough to pay attention and not miss them. But, but it goes on in verse 2. It says, Now I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you not grown weary. So in all these things, Jesus is saying, Listen, I know what you're doing. I know you're working and, and you're striving and, and you're doing that. And I don't know about you, that's encouraging, especially as a pastor of a new church and a small church, is to know that Jesus is paying attention to what I'm doing. And he's paying attention to what you're doing. And as long as we, we're striving, and it says, look, I know your toil, the works that you're doing, the, you're, you're trying to live out your faith. You're trying to be the person that God created you to be and, and you're working towards. And it is toil and it is work. Anybody that ever tells you, that all you have to do is trust Jesus and your life is going to be rosies, roses, ponies, and, and cotton candy and everything's fluffy. Get a Bible bigger than this and throw it at them because it's a lie. It is hard to follow Jesus. It's not easy. In fact, it's impossible if it weren't for the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We can't do it. We can't do it. And so he understands our toil. He understands our patient endurance as we wait and we push through things. He sees it and he acknowledges it that. You know, when I was growing up, the thing I wanted to hear more than anything else was my dad say, I'm proud of you. That was it. I, I didn't care for anything else. That was, that was the greatest gift he could ever give me. I remember when I got ordained and, and I was going to ministry, he looked at me and says, I'm proud of you. And then he bought me a bunch of suits because we were Baptists and I needed preaching clothes. <laughs> Obviously, you can see they're in my closet. I wear them now and then and I get picked on. But, but, but the idea that someone acknowledges, and can I tell you something? Christ looks into your life and he sees your toil. He sees what you're going through. And for some of us this morning, it may feel like, man, I'm all alone in this. You're not. He sees it. He takes part in it. He says, how you can't bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and not found, and found them to be false. <coughs> you know, can I just, I just got to tell you too, listen, just because I got a title that says pastor, doesn't mean everything I'm going to say is right. There are too many people showing up in churches that are just sitting there listening to somebody speak from a platform and just saying, okay, that's got to be it. And that's why we've got like crazy, stupid doctrine and theology out there. Listen, I want to challenge you. Figure it out. Test it. Find out if it's truth. Find out if it's right. If it's not, challenge me. If I say something, you're like, man, you were way off there. Please tell me. But don't just take it because it's me speaking or some pastor or something, don't just take it. Just go out and you test what's being said because there are so many people out there right now that are saying things that sound so good but are so wrong. This is why I always push and say, listen, get into this. Get into God's word because if it doesn't line up with this, then it's not of him. Nowhere in the Bible does it contradict itself. It's always God's plan, God's word, and, and, and we, we test it and stuff. And, and so Jesus, he's telling, tell the church in Ephesus, man, you've done this. 
I know you're enduring patiently, verse 3, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. And so there's all this good stuff happening in, in the church. And I think and, uh, most of our churches start on a good foot. You know, we start with the right idea. When, when we started this church and we, we prayed about this two or th- almost three years ago, and just say, God, okay, what is it that you want and, and how we want to start and, and how we want to function and, and do all that. I, I think most churches, hopefully, all get on a good start. And they say, man, I, it's for God's glory. Unfortunately, we kind of lose our way as we go. In, in our own faith, when, when we start with Jesus, we have the best intentions and we have the best plan. And, and we're like, okay, I'm all set. But then as time goes on, we, we kind of we lose our way because... That's what happened in Ephesus. See? You've done all this good stuff, but then all of a sudden, verse 4, he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. See, and I, and I, don't, I don't know exactly what that is, and, and nobody really knows exactly because it's not specific, but I think sometimes we get so used <coughs> to go into church and just be in there and going through the motions, that that's all it becomes. That my faith becomes just something I do as a checklist and stuff. That's why we have, like, you know, Easter and Christmas is, is the biggest time for the churches because that's when people are like, oh, wait a minute, this is like a religious thing. I should go to church. And we just show up on those days. And then we don't show up any other day. Or, or we get so locked into just knowing about God and not knowing him. I know a lot of places that, man, they have the most amazing Bible teachers ever, and they are learning some of the greatest things. I mean, guys teaching in Hebrew and stuff and, and Greek and, and these people just soaking it up and doing it. But all they're doing is knowing about God and not knowing his heart anymore. And, and I think we get locked in that sometimes in our faith. It becomes more about knowledge than wisdom because there's a difference. Wisdom is what God gives us to be able to use the knowledge for his glory. And, and, and I don't know what this love is. And so it's, I think it's, it's one of three things that, that, that could have happened. One of three loves. And, and the first thing I, I think it might be is the idea that they're called to love God. I mean, look at John 14, 21. It says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Remember back in the New Testament, the lawyer came up to Jesus and says, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus broke it down. He says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love him with everything that you have. And and keep that on the forefront of your mind. And so that's the command that I think Christ is talking about here in in, in John. He's saying, listen, he has my hands who continues to love with everything he has. And maybe that's what they lost in Ephesus. Maybe they got so dogmented in just learning and growing and being big church and being popular and being, you know, being stable and stuff. It's about, it's about buildings, bodies, baptisms and stuff. It's all about numbers and it's all those things. And maybe they got so locked in they forgot why they were called to be a church in the first place. And maybe that, that's, that's us. Maybe that, that, that's you, where, where we've lost kind of that, that fire of the first love. You know, we, we've lost, we, we've forgotten. Do you remember what it felt like, that moment that God became real to you? 
whether it happened over a period of time or it happened at an instant. But do you remember that feeling, that, that love that you just felt and overwhelmed by when, when God first kind of really showed himself to you? And how it felt like, man, I, there's nothing I can't do. There's nothing I can't accomplish. And over time, that love kind of, maybe it faded a little bit. You know, I was going to put a picture up, and I didn't have time, and it's good. And my wife's not here this morning, so I get to talk about her. Um, but, man, I remember, I remember, and, and we, we've been married, this year we'll be married 29 years. But I, I remember, I, I, I just got out of basic training. Um, we were had, we had, got, had like a small ceremony before I went into basic training um, so that we could save some money and get some money from the Army to start off a good. But then we had the big wedding when I got out of basic training. I remember standing at the foot of the church I grew up in and just standing down there in my uniform. By the way, cotton is not a good thing to wear under lights because I lost like four pounds. I was just, my entire wedding video was me just going, I'm about to pass out, I'm about to pass out, and just sweating to death. But I remember just standing there, and all of a sudden I looked down, the music starts, you know, dun, 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 and I turned and I saw her at the end of the aisle, and my heart just went, I literally died right then. I remember what it felt like. And after 29 years, even with struggles and stuff, I remember that moment. And every time I do, I get a little flutter. That's what our faith should be like with God. I, I remember the moment he met me. When I, when I, was, I was his enemy, I was lost and I was broken and I was not worthy and he showed up, and I fell in love with God. Maybe that's what happened in Ephesus. Maybe that's what's happening to some of us. We've forgotten that first love. And we need to just be reminded once again and feel the flutter. And so, so, so that's, that's the first one. But it, maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe they still loved God. Maybe, maybe it's about loving each other. I love it. Uh, in John 15, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down his life for his friends. You know, of all the places on the planet, of all the gatherings that would happen uh, throughout a week, the church should be a place that is noted and, and, and shown by love. That we should love one another. That we should sacrifice for one another because we're a family. We're this crazy, insane group of people. I'm your crazy uncle or cousin that you don't like to talk about a lot of times and stuff. And kind of like, well, I hope he doesn't show up to the reunion. But we have those people. And, 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 but we should be loving one another. We should be sacrificing for one another. In fact, I love that video that we showed, um, the, you know, the, the meaning of love. We, that's out of 1 Corinthians 13. And, and it's a beautiful passage. And for me, you know, we always read that at weddings. You know, this is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, it, it's sacrificing. It doesn't, it doesn't. But do you understand when Paul wrote that, he wasn't writing to couples. He was writing to the church. That that's the standard of how we should love each other in the church. We should love each other all times. That doesn't mean we always get along. Listen, I promise you. I'm going to annoy you if you're around long enough. I'm going to do something that's going to tick you off. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to do the same to me. 
Any family that doesn't have like arguing and nitpicking, they're not a family. <laughs> it just happens. You're going to get on each other's nerves. But that doesn't mean we ever stop loving one another. And in the church, we should love everyone. We should love each other and just push it because we are family. That's how we are, the church. That's what ties us together. That love, Jesus, is the thing that binds us together. It's the old hymn. You know, we are bound together because we love each other. And it's not just, hey, I love you. What up? <laughs> it's a love that we show. And that we give and we sacrifice. And, and, and I love that Jesus said, greater love is no one this, that you would lay down your life for one another. That's what the church should look like. A family that is willing to sacrifice everything for each other. And maybe that's what they lost in Ephesus. Maybe they've forgotten to just love each other and they were just tolerating each other. And I've been in a lot of churches where we have just tolerated each other. And those churches are doing absolutely nothing to change the world. Th this should be the one place that anybody, no matter what their beliefs, their background, anything, can walk through the doors and just, man, there's just love here. And so maybe maybe it was the waning love of God, that, that passionate love that kind of fell through, or maybe it was love for each other, but there's, there's one last thing, and, and there's one thing that I think that scares me, because I think a lot of churches do this, and it's the idea that we love the things God loves, even the lost people. I love it. In, in, in Luke 19, Jesus made it very clear, I came, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You and I, are commanded and called to love those that are hard to love outside the walls. Those that talk bad about the church, those who talk bad about us, those who don't want anything to do with us, we are called to love the lost because that's why Jesus came. He didn't came. He says, you know, the healthy don't need a physician. It's, it's the sick. I came for those that don't know me, that are separated, that are lost, that are hopeless and everything. And because I love them, we have to love them. We have to be looking for ways. How do we reach this community? How do we reach our neighborhoods? How do we reach our friends? How do we keep doing things that say, God, how did the lost get revealed to you and you, you reveal to them and that they come back into a relationship with you? We have to love lost people. They don't know any better. Listen, I'm, I'm tired of listening to people saying, I can't understand why people act so stupid and they're mean and they're cruel. And Man, you think they would know better. If they don't know Jesus, they don't know better. Any of you that's a parent understands the word sin because you've seen it in your children. <laughs> where they just act crazy and stupid until you teach them. It's the same way with all these people around us, and we have got to get eyes and a heart for all the people around us. That's what God has called us to. And maybe that's what Ephesus lost. They, they became a holy huddle. And too many churches today are holy huddles. It's all about, like, I just want, I want my music, my seat, my pew, my time, my programs, and all this stuff, and, and just leave me alone, and we're just going to put a magic bubble around us. And the world can't touch us. That's not a church. That's a convent. 
Listen, I'm thankful for the monastic like movement that happened because out of that the word of God was passed down and, and great things happened. But nowhere in the Bible did it ever say go into seclusion somewhere. And don't worry about all those people that are dying and going to hell. We have got to love the lost. And maybe that's what Ephesians, the, F, the church in Ephesus, they forgot. That they're there not for their glory, but they're there to further God's kingdom. But the good news is this morning is, is God is a God of second chances. No matter where you're at this morning, no matter what's going on, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you've ever done to make God love you less. Um, that God is a God of second chance, third chance, over and over again. He says, here's, what, here's, here's another chance. Do this again. If, if you don't believe it, read the Old Testament. You know, we look at all the Israelites and the Jews, and how many times did they, like, mess up and, like, okay, God said, here, do this, and they're like, we're going to do the opposite. And yet every time he's like, repent and come back to me. Just come back to me. It's, it's okay. And we look at that, and we look at him and says, man, what a bunch of knuckleheads. These guys, man, they had God right there talking to them and telling them all this stuff, and they just kept blowing it and everything. And, and, and as we look at that, then we start thinking about our own lives and say, wow, what, what a knucklehead I am. And yet God gives a chance again and again. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, remember, therefore, for where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Uh, Jesus just says, listen, first thing you got, you need to do is you need to just remember Remember what it felt like. Remember that moment that God became real to you. Remember what it, what it was like that first time maybe you shared the gospel with someone and you saw a life change. Remember when, when you trusted me and I showed myself faithful. Remember what that was like. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, I, I'm telling you, there are moments in your life where you can look back and God was so real to you. And he's saying, remember those moments. Remember what it was like. And then repent. And all that literally means is just turn around. See, there, there's only two ways to do things on this planet. There's God's way and there's our way. God's way leads to freedom, leads to joy, leads to peace, leads to hope. Our way leads to bondage every time. And God's saying, remember what it was like here. When you did things my way and repent, just turn around, literally a 180 degree turn, and go back and start doing the things that you once did. Do the works you did at first. And I don't want you to raise your hands, but have you ever shared the gospel with someone and seen that light come on? I remember being in eighth grade in junior high school in Port Charlotte, Florida. And the kid behind me, Rusty, and, and I told him the gospel for the first time. He's like, wow, that makes sense. How do I do that? I will never forget that moment when the light came on. Remember, and I, I have to remind myself because, listen, listen, I'm, I'm good at faking being an outgoing person. I've taught myself how to be an extrovert when I'm standing up here. 
But when it's just like a crowd of stuff and crowd of people, I'm really happy just to be kind of back in the corner and just like, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm not the guy that's going to go down in the middle of Kagan's Crossing, stand in the middle of the little circle right there and say, you all need Jesus. That's not me. Sometimes I wish it was, but it's not me. I mean, God has to lump me over the head. I would have never invited you to church if that person and I wore a silly T-shirt about, uh, about mentoring, using God's word to mentor people, and all of a sudden God just set up, it's like, listen, if you're not going to tell them, I'm going to tell them through you. I'm going to set this up so you have no choice. And so I had to say when I was like, I'm a pastor. Oh, you're a pastor? Well, like, oh, yeah, I'm at this church. I'm shy. I really am. I know it doesn't show, but I am. But I remember those moments. God says, just keep doing them. Go back, repent, and do them again. Because if you don't, if you let go and you keep doing things your way, and you keep doing church your way, it says, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And when it says that, God is saying, basically, if you are a church that doesn't care about the loss, that doesn't love me and worship me with all my heart, with all your heart and with everything that you can, and doesn't love each other, you are no longer called a church. See, we can't be a church unless we do those things. We can't be a people of God unless we do those things. He says, I'll, I'll remove it. And apparently, all these churches that we're going to talk about eventually didn't repent because none of them exist today. There is no church of Ephesus today. We, we, are, we are called to the... Now, just a little kind of side note, because I know someone's going to ask me and everything. In verse 6, it says, Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Most theologians, most historians don't really know who those people are. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of people, it's like there was like Nicholas, who was a, a disciple, and he was leading a church, and, and all this stuff kind of changed. But the, the point is, what the Nicolaitans did is they were people that came into the church and they said, man, what your belief system is awesome, but um, we, have a, we have more to add to it. We, we, we want to add some more to it. It's not people from outside attacking the church. It's people from the inside of the church. In fact, most, most historians think they, they correlate these Nicolaitans with a, a group of people called the Balaamites. Remember Ahab and Jezebel in the Old Testament? how she kind of perverted all of Israel, the northern tribes and stuff, with the worship of Balaam and said, it's like you can worship your God and everything, but Baal is in here too. And, and it was a perversion from the inside. That's the same thing that they're talking about. That's what's happening in the church right there. Is people are coming in and saying, hey, listen, it's Jesus and. Can I tell you something? If you're ever in a church where they say Jesus and, get up, walk out. We have got to be guarded. That's one of the reasons we have elders in the church. And their number one role in our church is to make sure that the truth and we are sound doctrinally, biblically. That if I say anything that is not biblical, they, they, they get to fire me. And they, they need to get rid of me. And so I, I just want you, we need to guard because there are so many things happening in our churches today that are not of God. There are people standing on platforms saying, listen, if you just have faith enough and believe enough, God will give you everything you want. You just have, it's called wealth and health, the prosperity gospel. Listen, that is not the gospel. 
there's a bunch of stuff that, that, that's going on in our churches that says we can just bend and we can build here and we can do this stuff. And you've got to guard against that and, and make sure. That, and then he finally says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I love that idea because when you and I choose to follow Christ, when we choose to give our lives to Christ and live the life he gave to us, you know what that tree of life is? That tree of life was one of the two trees in the garden. And when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and to do things their way and say, we're going to do it our way, and sin and death entered the world, God, out of his grace, got them out of the garden and got them away from the tree of life. Because whoever eats the tree of life is forever. You live forever. And that's, that's the goal at the end of this, is that we live in God's presence forever, all eternity. That we're redeemed, we're restored, and everything is fixed, and so we are in God's presence. By the way, heaven is not the goal of Christianity. I'm so sick of hearing people just and say that all the time. Like, where are you going to go when you die and stuff? Because heaven is the place. Heaven is not the goal. God's presence is the goal. And we can live that right now. And once we do these things and we follow Christ and we give our lives to him, we are allowed to enter and eat from that tree of life, which means that we forever get to be in his presence. As the church. What a great day. What a great day. I love the, the, the theologian, F.F. Um, F. Bruce. He says this, God bestows his blessings without discrimination. The followers of Jesus are children of God. Don't you love that? And they should manifest the family likeness by doing good to all, even those who deserve the opposite. It's about love. It's about loving God with all my heart. So when, when, when I sing... And worship isn't just singing, but when I sing worship songs, I'm singing it with as loud and as passionate as I can. Not because I want to sound good, because if it's me, it's not going to sound good. <laughs> but I sing it because I love God with everything I have. It's about loving one another in a family. It's about being connected to one another and, and loving each other and sacrificing for one another for each other's benefit, putting the other first. And it's about loving the lost because that's why Jesus came. And when we do that, we share the family likeness of our Father. That's great news. And that's the church that I think that I want to be. That's the people I want to be. Listen, I, I don't know where you're at this morning. I, I, don't, I don't know what's all happening in your life, but I, I do know one thing that there's a God that loves each and every one of us, that calls us to be more than what we could ever imagine or dream, to experience more, to love more, to live more. And we do that when we just connect. We, we do that when we say, God, I'm going to remember your faithfulness. I'm going to remember what it felt like that first time I fell in love with you. And I'm going to love the things that you love. And I'm going to hate the things that you hate. And I don't care what they say out there. And I don't care what they do out there. Because you've called me to stand out, not just fit in. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe, maybe you've forgotten that love. Maybe, maybe you have a problem with somebody. And you need to forgive and let go. Maybe you need that fire once again to see the world around you the way God sees it. 
Whatever it is this morning, I just challenge you, let God do his work. Don't leave here the same. And let's see what he does. Let's pray.